I'm Judy Peters. Today's topic is birds. Everything related to birds, really. My guest today is photographer extraordinaire Dennis Fast from Steinbeck. We're going to cover a variety of topics that are related to birds. We're going to talk about our favorite birds, which birds we see here in Manitoba, and which ones are plentiful, which ones have declining populations. We'll also look at what this past summer has been like for our birds and bird watchers, the impact of forest fires and the extreme heat. And Dennis, you always have some fun experiences to share with us. Thanks for joining us today to talk about birds. Thank you, uh, Judy, and thanks for having me on. Yes, I'm a bird brain, so let's see what happens. (laughs) Well, you take amazing photographs of not just birds, but all kinds of wildlife and have reach so many people, not just here in Steinbach in Manitoba, but around the world as well. Today, I want to pick your brain about birds. And specifically, let's start with migration. That's something that we're often watching the different patterns of birds coming and going as the weather changes, as the seasons change. And we've had now quite the nice fall weather. And I'm wondering, does that impact the migration at all? Yes, you know, it, it's interesting. Most, A lot of people at least start noticing migration when the geese show up from further north, right? Uh, in the meantime, an awful lot of birds have left the province because the warblers, for example, they will leave in August. Uh, other birds leave in early September. We've been getting a lot of sparrows from the north through October. They are almost all gone now, and uh, there is an awful lot happening, that's for sure. When it comes to sparrows, I used to think that there really was only one type of sparrow, and that was the house sparrow. (laughs) And I've learned otherwise. And, you know, the house sparrow isn't even a sparrow. Technically, it's a weaver finch. Uh, (laughs) Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's not not that closely related to all the sparrows that we typically have, but it was introduced in Europe, of course, an awful long time ago, and is now at home everywhere in North America, and... And uh, we used to call it the English sparrow and then realized, well, it's now North American, so we just call it house sparrow. Okay, that is very fascinating. I did not know that. You learn something new every day. Well, I hope so, and then so do I. The interesting thing is that we do have quite a few species of sparrows. Uh, they are not only beautiful, if you can get a look at them uh, fairly closely or through binoculars, but some of them have the most amazing songs, and I'm always, uh, always watching when the sparrows come through. I just love it. They are quite the fascinating songbirds, and you're totally right about that. It's more than just chirping, the melodies that the sparrows bring, and each one's so unique. Yes, absolutely. And the fox sparrow, which is a very rusty-looking striped sparrow and one of the larger ones, uh, it, it heads north uh, sort of to Churchill and even beyond to Nest. They have been coming through. We still have three or four in our yard every day. And their song, it, it, it's, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it's more magical, like you think a cardinal or something. It's not just tweeting, you know? That is absolutely right. And with the fox sparrow, I love watching them as they scratch around the yard. Yes, what's funny about them is they bounce up and down and scratch the ground. So they're yes. constantly. And I look around the backyard and I see a lot of sparrows or juncos in migration. And I go, oh, there's a jumper, there's a jumper. Okay, that's a fox sparrow, fox sparrow. <laughs> it's just about you can count on it. Yes, exactly. And juncos are also, uh, I've still been seeing a few of them around in the last few days. They normally yeah. don't stick around very long either, though. 
No, but a certain number usually winter over right here in Steinbeck. Uh, I think last year we had about nine that wintered over. Um, they weren't all here every day. In fact, we thought, oh, my, maybe they disappeared because we had or died because we'd have four or five, and then all of a sudden one day there'd be nine again. So, yeah, they, they migrate south, uh, but uh, they'll be here all winter, some of them. And sometimes we also see robins stick around for the for the winter. Still have one here. Uh, I don't think I saw it today, but it's been coming every day for a drink and a little bath and so on. And they can stick around all winter as well. I've seen them uh, in a, an apple tree, which they will adopt, or a mountain ash tree, and they will just stay there all winters because there's a food supply right there for them. Some of the bird watchers that I've been communicating with from Winnipeg have been uh, very excited to share some videos and photos of a hummingbird that they've had at their feeder just a few days ago. Yeah, that's crazy, you know. Um, We have classically only one hummingbird in Manitoba, and as you know, it's called the ruby-throated hummingbird. And and that's the one that everybody sees. The males, of course, are much more brightly colored than the females. But for some reason, rufous hummingbirds, which, by the way, winter in the extreme south of Mexico, that far south and through Mexico, then fly all the way up to the southern part of Alaska, a journey of 4,000 miles, almost 7,000 kilometers. And then we think that every once in a while, when they're way up north, somebody misses the Rocky Mountains and goes down the wrong side, wrong side <laughs> and heads for Manitoba. And, and, and that's what happens. And it's quite fascinating when we do get to see a bird that normally isn't around our area. No, it's definitely not regular. I've seen three or four uh, in southern Manitoba, and uh, no, probably the most dramatic one for me was years ago uh, when there was still sort of Steinbeck news, and a lady from Blue North had written, I've got a hummingbird coming to my feet, and I don't know what to do about it. And this was October the 31st. So I said to my wife, you know what, we've got to go. I've never seen a hummingbird that late. And when I got there, she had the feeder out by the kitchen. We waited for an hour or more. And then suddenly I saw it coming from across the garden slowly. And I said, oh, my, I said, you have a Rufus hummingbird. And uh, I could tell immediately it's a little bit bigger. It has more rust on it. And, uh, and unfortunately, she didn't know what to do. And I checked in later because there was a big blizzard warning. And she had taken the feeder down. The bird showed up looking for the feeder the next day, but the storm will have killed it, you know? Oh, that's always sad. Yeah, it happens. And, and, and another, the first time I ever saw one was at Selkirk, and uh, the lady there took it in in a birdcage, managed to capture it by hanging the feeder in there, I think, and kept it all winter. And I had more or less forgotten about it, all the birders had. And, and in the beginning of May, I suddenly said, you know what, i got to call this lady and see whatever happened to it. And she explained that story and she said, it's funny you would call today. She had finally, with a beautiful May morning around May the 10th, and she'd taken it out on the porch to the front steps to acclimate it, you know. And uh, barn swallows were nest- nesting above the door, and they were dive-bombing the cage, and the hummingbird died of a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, no! But <laughs> so I would tell the roof of hummingbird, uh, you know, don't let me see you. You're bound to die. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. One of the uh, birds that we've also been seeing, starting to see now, are the snowy owls. And mm. I, a few people, I haven't seen them yet, but a few people have mentioned that they've started seeing them now. 
Right, and I, I haven't been out enough yet to see one either, but this is the time of year when they show up sometimes even already in, in late October, mid-October, but November is the month, and it all depends on the lemming population up north mostly. Um, it, the lemmings are on about a give or take seven-year cycle, where it's boom and then crash, and they slowly build up again and crash, and in the crash years, the Arctic fox population crashes, and the snowy owls are forced south by the hundreds and thousands, maybe, who knows. Uh, and they will come right into summer. Southern Manitoba is fairly normal for some of them. But in those eruption years, they will, they've been seen as far south as Florida, believe it or not. No way. Yeah, that's rare, but they've been seen there a number of times. And eagles are also a beautiful, beautiful bird to uh, to watch soaring through the sky. Some have been very excited recently to be spotting a number of the bald eagles. Yeah, they reached a sort of crisis level, of, uh, you know, perhaps I forget 30, 40 years ago because of DDT and so on, and have slowly been making a comeback. They are now really well established and expanding in Manitoba. They used to nest near lakes in the white shell. Now they're nesting all over agricultural country because there's a lot of roadkill and and other stuff. And uh, yeah, they, they are really uh, winter birds here now too. Now remind me, the eagles, the bald eagles, do they normally stake their territory and or is it common for them to have a few of them in one area? They uh, usually have a pretty wide territory. Uh, it's also interesting. I've watched bald eagles build a nest in the fall, getting ready for next year. And then, of course, they come back and use the nest repeatedly for years. One of the largest eagle nests ever found was in, I believe, in the state of New York. They've been using it for like 20 years and kept adding to it. And then when the tree, dead tree finally blew up down in a storm, they picked up all the branches and they weighed just over 2,000 pounds, just over a ton. Uh, that's how much they had up there. Wow. But the interesting thing here, too, is, yes, they are migrating through, but they stop over here in southern Manitoba for quite a while. And when we still lived in Kleefeld, just west of Kleefeld, uh, in a wood, quite a large woodlot, I could in October sometimes count well over 70 uh, that would roost there every night. And uh, my friend who lived nearby there, Clark Penner, he actually once counted just over 100 roosting in the trees. So keep your eyes open. Wow. So often we hear of these these stories from different places. And to know that there's such fascinating stuff happening right here in southeastern Manitoba, as a bird lover, that is just so exciting. Yes, and uh, Manitoba definitely has great, great variety, you know. One of the birds that I absolutely love watching every winter is the northern cardinals. <laughs> yeah, don't we wouldn't we all, you know. Uh, when we visit southern Ontario, and there's a lot more there, it's a lot of fun. But, you know, in the last 20 years or so, they have moved in. They have been nesting in Manitoba now for quite a while, not widely. And in the last few years, they have been nesting in Steinbeck. I'm aware of several locations where they were nesting. And just two days ago, a couple showed up in our yard to look around and check it out, hopefully for next spring. I don't know, or maybe this day in the winter. But uh, we've seen them in our yard a number of times. That is so exciting. So how do you attract them? 
it's it's a little trickier. They're kind of a shy bird. For it sounds like a bold bird, but they like tight bushes. That's why they like yards where there's solid evergreen growth around because they love to hide in there. But all you can do is is put out sunflower seeds and and uh, some other bird seed and hope for the best. Well, I just filled up my uh, bird feeders with sunflower seeds and peanuts. What would you suggest is the best type of feed to put out for this time of year? Well, the black sunflower seeds are very good. I also usually buy seeds that are already shelled because uh, although it's more money in a sense, you get way more for the pound (laughs) per pound, you see. And the birds will really love that stuff too. You can buy a, a whole variety of mixes. And the problem with those is that even though those might attract the cardinals, and I'm sure they would, they uh, also attract the house sparrows and droves, and not everybody likes that, you know? Yes, those house sparrows can certainly uh, descend and clean out a a feeder very quickly. Yeah, they're not just gluttons, but they're bullies. (laughs) That they are. (laughs) So they chase other birds away, and we watch it all the time. It's frustrating. Absolutely. I absolutely love watching the chickadees, and these are birds that I find we have them year-round, and so often we don't pay enough attention to how absolutely amazing these birds are. The way they can weather the, whatever the weather is, they make it through that, and they always seem to have such a cheerful song. And, you know, and it just looks like the temperature has no effect. They're just flitting about and chasing each other just as they would in summer, like they would in summer. And, indeed, a lot of fun to watch. We were particularly blessed this summer because they nested in a nest box I'd had put up just across our little stream. So it was only about uh, 10 meters from the deck and um, maybe seven feet, two meters off the ground. And they, they were, we could watch them every day, you know, bringing food to the young and so on. It's a treat. Absolutely. That is the best form of entertainment I can think of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've always said, I hope whatever old folks home I have to go to, that they will have bird feeders there. <laughs> Absolutely. That is so true. Yeah. So let's take a look at what your summer has been like. I know you often have your camera with you. What are some of the favorite moments that you've had with your camera this summer? Well, I've been doing a fair bit with insects because uh, they're absolutely fascinating. Granted, you need a little bit more of a close-up equipment, but the color and the variety in those is incredible. And uh, so I'm doing a lot of that. I've kind of done the birds in the backyard, but still, I photograph the chickadees. I photograph the wrens, which I love. And... um, you know, and then, of course, uh, went for the occasional little ride. But, you know, my playing field, which is southeastern Manitoba, was shut down for so long because of fires everywhere and smoke. And so that uh, that forced me into the backyard a bit. Tell me a bit more about these insects that you've been uh, photographing. Uh, what has really captured your eye? Well, uh, there's a whole variety of small bees and flies and some of them are so tiny, but you get in close, you suddenly realize, oh my, they've got a beautiful lime green body and the wings flashed, uh, you know, colors of purple and colors of the rainbow almost. And I don't know them by name. That's the problem. And most people wouldn't because there are so many of them. 
we, we have something like 115, I believe, species of bees in Manitoba that range from the tiniest little thing, the size of a mosquito almost, to the bumblebee. And we just sort of think, well, we have wasps and we have hornets and we have bumblebees and we have uh, what else, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. But uh, there is a great variety and it's a lot of fun chasing them. So what would you say might be some of your favorite photographs that you've taken this summer? Well, I did, of course, do some monarch butterflies. I can't resist those guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I try to, I'm trying more and more to do video, actually, than, than stills, which is a little bit more challenging. So I do slow motion video, which means that if I, if I do finally get a, a butterfly, not just monarchs, but others, or bees, in focus at a flower, that if I can get three seconds, I get I get 15 seconds worth of video because it's five times slow motion, and so it really it really helps, and I just I'm just loving it. Um, the the other thing that I really had fun with and had for a few years now is uh, is photographing um, great crested flycatchers. They are a bold, noisy flycatching bird. Uh, and one of the biggest in their family, but I'd never read, I never saw a nest till last year. And a friend from Cleveland called me up, and we went to photograph it. And then again this year, the other tree had blown down, but it was another dead tree. And again, got to photograph it, and they're, they're just beautiful birds. Another bird that I've learned about in the last few years is the common red pole. Just the cutest little birds. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like they are coming in. I saw a flock of about 30. Uh, mostly this have been three or four that come into the yard to have a drink and, and go up and feed somewhere else. Um, but we had, I think it's two winters ago, we had about 125 come all winter long. Oh, man, do they eat a lot of seed. <laughs> yes, that they do. They are tiny, but, man, they can eat. Yes, and then keep your eyes open because... In them sometimes are what are called hoary red poles. They're much whiter, a little bit larger, and uh, they can be just stunning because of their pale color and very, very pale pink on them, not much. And uh, it's just like a delicate-looking bird. Yes. Now, is it the red poles that sometimes will burrow into the snow? I filmed that, actually, uh, across the backyard, uh, the neighbor's house uh, was was covered with six inches of snow, and and the storm was brewing. All, well, had been going all day and would be going all night. And I watched a bunch of red poles up there, and they would dig little burrows and and crawl in, and, uh, and out they come the next morning, bursting through the snow. You know, the first time I learned about this, this was in the backyard. I saw in the winter time. It, it almost, I was worried there was mice because it looked like yeah. mice had made some kind of tunnel into the snow. And yeah. I'm, I'm very, very much afraid of mice. So, yeah. but I kept watching and yeah, there was birds coming out of there. I thought, my goodness. So then I just had to get more books. I had to learn more about these birds. Well, it's incredible. You know, they, that's a great way to stay warm because snow is a fantastic insulator. And so, yeah, it, it works for them. And they're not the only ones, you know. The bigger the bigger birds, like the rough grouse, do the same thing. You know, when we lived in the country uh, at Cleefield, I had a corn feeder set up at the corner of the yard. And all winter, 
late afternoon, we'd have about a dozen rough grouse come flying in. And they'd feed till dusk, and then they'd go up into the trees, eat a few poplar buds, and then they'd take off to the neighboring field, which was an alfalfa patch, and dive into the snow for the night. And they used to do that when I went to school through the bush uh, on my dad's farm and, and uh, parents' farm into the school. Uh, and they would be beside the trail, and suddenly I, they, they would just explode. You know, and when you're 10 years old, and the grunts actually hit me on the chest with its wing as it flew by, and I go, <clears throat> like, if you can have a heart attack at 10, I just thought I had one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I was going to ask if if you've ever had close encounters with the birds, and you've just answered my question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you know, when I was hiking, uh, birds are extremely sensitive to eye contact. If they think you are not seeing them, it's amazing how close you can get. And I'd be out walking, and, and all of a sudden I'd see a little movement, and then there's a grunt right on the trail, like six feet, two meters from me. And then I go, oh, no, and I stop. And as soon as I look at it, it starts to walk, and it's into the bush and gone. So the key is to minimize eye contact. Absolutely, as long as you can. Sneak your peeks out the corner of your eye, you know. That is very interesting. I will keep that in mind. One of the other birds that brings me so much joy in the winter is the pine siskin. Yeah, that's another one I sort of have a love-hate relationship with because they are <laughs> terribly cute and bold. I mean, I've, I've just about petted those guys sometimes. They, they're so uh, carefree about whether I'm close or not. But one year we had, well, three years ago, the year before the Red Bulls, we had about 150 of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> My goodness, I can only imagine the sounds coming from 150. Oh, yeah. Yes, and you see, and that's the neat thing about them and the, and the red poles, the twittering goes on. You step out in the, on the yard on a sunny day and it's, it's twittering like spring migration is on, you know. That's exactly it. The first time I was that I discovered the red poles and the pine siskin was one winter, it was just a few years ago, it was such a cold and dark and dreary winter, and I was just feeling so down in the dumps. I missed my my goldfinches, mm-hmm. and one morning I woke up and I thought, oh, I'm hearing so much bird sounds. What's going on? Is it spring? Yeah. And that was when I learned about the pine siskin, and I just, they carried me through the winter. Oh, they're fun. I, I agree, and... Uh... But back to the goldfinches, have you got them all winter long? No, I don't. I They're usually gone. I usually don't see them anymore at the end of September. Yeah, they they do. They're very late, less, uh, very late nester because they use uh, uh, thistle down to build their nests. And so it's usually late July, early August when they're nesting. And I've seen a nest actually in late September, around the 20th or so. Uh, but they do overwinter. We had three here till about a week ago. I haven't seen them since, so they may have moved south. But again, when there were when there was a lot of sunflower around, I remember at Kleefeld once at our feeder, we had about 50 come all winter long, and they were eating niger seed like crazy. Niger seed is uh, one of the seeds that I really like to be able to put out because I find that it does attract a lot of the the songbirds, and yep. that's what brings me joy, so then that's what I put in the feeder. Do yep. you put out niger seed over the winter? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, uh, all winter long. Now, usually in the winter, uh, uh, the goldfinches, they they ate it up, they lapped it up all winter, 
but uh, if the chickadee and the nuthatches have an option, they'll they'll go for the sunflower seeds. You know, they're so rich in oil and a little bigger. Oh, and the nuthatches are so much fun to watch as well. <laughs> I was just going to say we haven't talked about the nuthatches, two of my favorite birds. And the other day I was out hanging up the feeder, and I was going to take it off actually to uh, to fill it up. And the nuthatch come and lands like a foot from my face and looks at me and says, what are you doing here? You know, taking my food away. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and they've done that many times. Like, they don't care. They just come right in, uh, grab their seat, and away they go. Whether you're a foot away or whatever, it doesn't matter. Nuthatches are so much fun to watch because of how they climb up and down the tree trunks. And it's, it's no fear. And I just find it so fascinating how they're able to walk up and down, upside down, and they don't lose their footing. They're they're all good. I would be totally confused and uh, have no idea where I was. Uh, I, I don't understand that either because your picture has to flip when you're upside down, right? Yes. And, and it's like squirrels too, the same thing. And, and boy, they zip around, up or down, it doesn't matter. Yeah, amazing. One of the best things I've done is put up a bird feeder right outside my bedroom window. So in the morning, first thing I do is slowly open the curtains so that I don't scare any of them and just watch. And that's the best way to start the day. Yeah. You know, I have them in my office. I sit here in my office at the computer a lot to working with my photographs. And and last winter, I put up a feeder right, right outside the window here. So we're talking like about two meter and a half away. And, oh... I found out it's way too distracting. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Working yeah. on my deck, uh, was it last summer, working on my deck, because many of us were working from home as much as possible, right. I found that they were distracting, but at the same time, I'm pretty sure my blood pressure was, was pretty low. I was just so calm and at peace, just the, the joy that the birds bring. I, I love uh, I love them for that, and uh, they are good for the soul. And the only thing is, I get mad at the at the nut hatches uh, two years in a row now because they spent hours and hours. I've watched them and filmed them all winter long, digging a nest till till the bird was at the point where it could just about disappear already. And then what do they do in the spring? They go somewhere else. And I, and I go, that's not fair. You ate my food all winter. You built the house here, and, and I want to photograph you, and they're gone. So they were gone all summer this year, and now they're back. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> just not finish. fair. Yeah, they'll probably finish building it. This year. I'm, I'm thinking that maybe, uh, because I've never watched them that closely, haven't had the opportunity, that perhaps because the tree is so seriously dying, that every year it gets a little softer, and they go as far as they feel, okay, now it's not worth it anymore. We'll wait till next year. It'll be a little more rotten, and then we'll finish it off. So I'm hoping. I would love to hear any interesting stories you have about blue jays. I find them to be so entertaining and very amusing. Yes, and, and they we have usually a family of them or so, four or five that come all winter. Spectacular uh, and uh and it's so funny when they land in the yard and let us scream, everybody pays attention, you know. <laughs> and they're capable of making so many different sounds. You know, we had last spring, um, and we always have crows that come in and out too and check things. And I was sitting in the living room, and uh, I saw a bird fly into the neighbor's tree from the back side, and, but I, I had not seen enough to know what it was. 
And I heard a crow call. Oh, yeah, another crow over here. And then the next thing you know, a blue jay pulls out and lands in the water in front of us when we're sitting outside. And uh, a half a dozen times as perfect a crow call as you could imagine, except with slightly less volume, but a perfect crow call. And, uh, and then it flew off into the tree after it had had a little bath, and uh, there was a crow calling there again. You know, how he learned it, I don't know. It was perfect. Yeah. I often joke that the Blue Jays are capable of making such beautiful sounds, and yet mm-hmm. they tend to choose the loud, obnoxious, annoying sounds to wake me up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's another thing about the blue jay uh, and many birds, robins, to have what is called a whisper song. And it's usually they sing that in the mating season when they're not too far from the nest. And I, I watched a blue jay and I couldn't believe it. It was just this quiet song and it went on and on and on. It was not at all like the raucous noise it makes. And the same with the robin. It was just sort of a, a bubbling, quiet song that kept going. Beautiful. But you have to be lucky to hear that. Oh, absolutely. That is truly a gem. What about northern shrikes? Have you seen any of those? Well, they're in here every winter. I've had some great video of them and stills. Uh, I haven't seen one yet. I've been waiting. But you see, it's too nice. Um, I was just reading a friend's uh, report from up at Churchill. I mean, there's virtually no ice yet. Uh, the bears uh, need to get out onto the ice at Hudson Bay. And, and then years ago, when I first started going to Churchill, the first week in November, basically around the 7th uh, to the 10th, it was well known the bears headed out onto the sea ice. Well, it's water now. And uh, it'll probably be December before there'll be enough ice to get out there. Climate change that has to be something that impacts the wildlife quite a bit. Well, certainly uh, patterns. We are getting more and more birds from the south and moving into Manitoba to nest further north because it's getting too hot in the mid-U.S. And, and, and so they get up into here. And birds from southern Manitoba are moving further and further north also for the same reason. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's easy to say, well, good, we'll get a few more birds. No, it's way more serious than that, and we need to be concerned. Absolutely. I uh, put out a lot more water this year than I think I have ever in the past. In the summertime, I always have a bird bath out, but I found that I just couldn't keep up with keeping fresh water for the birds. So I had them in different locations and always refilling them, refreshing them. It was a hot summer. Yeah, it was, a, and it was, it was a problem for the birds. We have a little stream that I put in here when we moved into Steinbeck eight years ago, and, and so the birds this summer were just going crazy over it. They always do, but now they were like you could look at any old time, and there's three or four birds, half a dozen, bathing, drinking, and and just needing the water. You know? So, what about chimney swifts? Have you had an opportunity to observe them at all? Uh, you know, they were nesting at the uh, hospital here for many years in the chimney, and uh, I would observe them there. I Every time every time I drive by the hospital, pretty much, I have my window rolled down, and I'm going as slowly as traffic will allow, because they have a very distinct, high-pitched and calm note chatter, and I have not heard them for two years now. There were some observers that were uh, watching the chimneys in Le Brokery, 
And so they they managed to spot a few there. And this is really the first year that I've learned a lot about chimney swifts. Quite fascinating birds. Yes, and, and you can, uh, there's a special site where you can follow uh, the watchers who, who monitor these all of, uh, well into June, every spring. And it was a good year for them, actually. Um, but um, just not in Steinbeck, you know. So maybe somebody needs to put up a, uh, a chimney shift house here because they, they will nest in artificial houses. That would be very fascinating to watch. Oh, yeah, they're such magnificent flyers. Uh, years ago, when you lived in Gretna and had an older home with a, with a chimney sticking out, and the chimney shifts were nesting in there. And I would watch them. They'd be up so high that you could hardly see them. They're fluttering back and forth, catching bugs. And then they come down to feed the young, and it's like a power dive. And, and you go, how, when he hits the chimney like that, at that speed, does he not break his wings off when he comes to a halt and, and, <laughs> and clings to the side of the chimney to feed the young? And then the next thing you know, they're done feeding, and out they shoot like a launched rocket and go up into the sky. They're fascinating to watch. Oh, that they are. I also find um, morning doves to be quite fascinating. What is the difference between the Eurasian collared dove and the morning dove? Do you know? Yes, absolutely. We we get the morning doves here all summer long, and they bring their young, and get the occasional collared dove. Um, they they have moved in also from the south in the last number of years, and the main difference is if if you look carefully, um, they have they're a paler bird. They're a little bit larger bird. They have a square tail, even though it has white edging. It's a square tail, not a pointy tail like the morning doves. And uh, and when they call, they're very, very insistent. The morning doves, they do their little, oh, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And these guys go more like, oh, They just go on and on and on. And, and so in the spring, they can be, they can be told just by that. That is very interesting. Thanks for sharing that with us. Mm-hmm. What about the Virginia rail? Well, you're not going to get those in your backyard here, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody did spot one uh, in Winnipeg this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Virginia rails are common, quite common in Manitoba. Um, and um, they're, they're secretive in swamps, so they're hard to see. Um, but uh, I have seen and photographed them a number of times, and uh, they are also fun to watch. But that leads me to another bird, which you may not be aware of, which is the American woodcock, which is a bird also of marshy areas at the edges of woods in the, in the sort of the grassy areas around the swamp. And they have an amazing display uh, just at dusk. Uh, and then... Uh, They'll nest, uh, uh, you know, you can step on that nest. I've photographed them and I just leaned right over and the bird is right there and doesn't care. Uh, but here's the interesting thing. In fall, when they're done nesting and they start to migrate, they will pull into towns and be on people's lawns and hide under the flowers or the bushes. And, uh, and we had one here this year. I spooked him about three times. He would hide under the hydrangea. Uh, in the front yard, and, and every time I'd walk out, I'd forget that, that, oh, yeah, I saw him here yesterday, and then, of course, he'd take off. But that's a fascinating bird, and they have this amazing walk, uh, and it's hilarious because they stand there and bounce. Their head does not move, 
but their whole body bounces up and down like a little dance, and then it takes a step forward, and it's bouncing the whole time. And then all of a sudden, it's, uh, here's an earthworm or something, and down it goes. And I filmed it pulling out the earthworm, but it, pull, it pulls just with the right tension so it doesn't pull it in half. And then, he, and then slowly, slowly, and when he's got about two-thirds of it out, then snap, and he's got it, and he swallows it. It's great fun. I only learned about those birds this summer as well. I think it was a family in the Altona area that had seen some, and it was really quite fascinating. <laughs> there was a video somebody sent me a link to, and it was a mother woodcock with the two little ones behind her. Just little chicks, and they're all they're all doing this bouncing up and down as they follow mother. It, it looks like a line dance. Yeah. Somebody needs to maybe add a, a country song to that and turn yeah. it into a fun uh, line dance video. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a great song. Another bird that is not always easy to see, I would even say very difficult to see, at least for me, the common nighthawk. Yeah, and you know, there's, there, there seems to be less of them. I when we first moved to Stymac, I would see them almost every spring and, and, and fall during their peak migration, but I'm missing them. I just can't seem to see them here anymore. Um, and so I'm assuming that there's, that there's less and, than there used to be, and uh, it's a struggle for them. Yeah. How about for the eastern whippoorwill? Well, that's another one. That's, uh, they're a bird of the deep woods. We had one in the yard here last year, the, the neighbor... It was about 10 o'clock at night. It was dark already, late summer. Obviously, the bird was migrating south, and he'd heard it call, so he came and knocked at the door, and then it stepped out, and it wouldn't call again. And and within the minute, two doors down, somebody started fireworks, and I saw the shadow of this bird. I'm sure that's what it was. It beetled it over the backyard and gone into the neighbor somewhere, neighborhood. So they are one of my favorite memories of growing up on the farm because they were there all the time and oh what a beautiful sweet sound see if you go east of steinbeck into the sandylands areas and drive some of those forestry roads you can still hear them uh, quite a bit and uh and sometimes uh, at night when i've been doing night surveys they get to be annoying because i want to hear other birds <laughs> <laughs> One of the birds that I absolutely love to hear, and I think they're a favorite of many, is the loon. That's a bird that uh, yeah you won't see here too much, but uh, oh yeah over the lake that's amazing that's amazing. I was out canoeing once when we lived up north with a friend, and it was four o'clock in the morning, and the, this big fog over the lake, and everything was orange, and. Uh, I would call the loon just with my voice, and we kept getting closer and closer till, till we were perhaps um, 20 meters away or so. And I called again, and the loon started calling, and the next thing you know, a pack of coyotes answered on shore, and we were just sitting there mesmerized. The loon's on one side, coyotes on the other, fog everywhere. Wow. And at some point, does fear ever set in? Well... Uh, an eagle buzzed my head um, when I was too close to a nest in Alaska. And and here, the, sh- the sharp-shinned hawks, which nest commonly in wood woodlots, and we, we get them all year round passing through here, chasing birds, uh, and especially in the winter. They are, they're very aggressive. They won't hit you, but 
when they come dive bombing and they're screaming away and they'll come through the branches and slapping the branches and it sounds like they're going to knock the tree down and then they pull up, you know, three meters over your head and, and come back again. But you duck anyway, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> I have had uh, some close encounters with barn swallows, and that's been enough for me to really prefer to watch through a window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great horned owl nests. Uh, great horned owls can be very aggressive, and certainly, I if you get close to great horned owl nests, unless it's in in Winnipeg, where they are very used to people walking by down trails, uh, they uh, yeah, I've been I've been not attacked exactly, but very aggressively been told, yeah, that's close enough, you know, uh, lots of bill clacking and screeching and, and that kind of thing. And then they will, they will hit you if you, if you turn your back. So, Oh, my goodness. Well, on that note, I would like to turn our attention to some birds that I have had so much fun watching through the safety of my window. So many different woodpeckers. Yeah, isn't that cool, too? Um, we get the downy and the hairy, of course, all winter long, usually two or three of each. And then we have pileated uh, pretty much all winter long. One, one winter we had two, a male and a female. Last winter was not quite as regular, but we did have a female visit fairly regularly. And now two days ago, we had our first visit from a female pileated, and we hope she comes back. She was checking out the familiar spots, looked like to me. So, The pileated is a bird that I've seen on pictures, but last summer was the first time I saw one in person. And it was at the, at the water dish in my French yard, and I was coming around the corner of the house to fill up the, the water dish, and I just out of the corner of my eye, I thought it that looks like there's a cat in the water dish. And when I turned to look, no, here was this huge, majestic bird just a few feet away from me. Yeah, I had a heated bird bath up all last winter, and and um, the pileated would come there regularly to drink. Other birds to bathe too, but it was there every day, many times a day for a drink. Uh, and uh, they loved the water. Early on, when the when our pond or sorry our little stream freezes over, in the early stages, the pileated will come and he'll hack a little hole in the ice and actually still drink. Um, they they need the water and it's fun to watch that. And they are such big, large birds. You don't really grasp that when you're just looking at them in photographs, but then in person when you see them, they're large. Yes, they are. They're almost crow size and. And the neat thing is that sometimes they're completely indifferent to human presence. The first one I ever saw was when I was a teenager hiking in the woods, and a pileated pulled up right beside me, three feet off the ground, and I watched it hammering away at a dead tree for quite a while. And and it was like right there. Talk about an impression. Um, (laughs) You know, and and that's that's, uh, quite typical. They may suddenly just show up, and then stay there if you don't move. Now, the yellow-bellied sapsucker is one of the woodpeckers. What is so unique about that bird? <laughs> People hate it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the impression I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't, but but I understand because yes, we we had it certainly put a ring around one of our mountain ash trees at, at Gleeful too, and I just put some rubber around it. 
And and then, believe it or not, it came all summer to a hummingbird feeder and fed from a hummingbird feeder. That's the only time I've ever seen that. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the difference is they are literally named sapsuckers for a reason. And we have elms here, and they will, uh, or uh, maples, and they drill holes in them, you know, and it starts to bleed sap. And we had uh, a pair here for quite a while, two years ago, and I was able to get some great pictures of them because of that. Uh, and... Um, uh, you know, I love them until they start drumming on the eavesdrop, uh, eavesdrop, and I'm saying, sorry, you're not going to wake me up at 6 in the morning. <laughs> well, absolutely, and I've heard that complaint from so many people, lots yeah. of conversation as to what is the best way to deter them from doing that. <laughs> well, I always uh, joke, get out there immediately and chase them the way to the neighbor's yard and let them deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your neighbors love you. <laughs> but it, it, that's about the only way is to just, at the beginning, immediately, you know, give them the idea you're not welcome here. And, uh, and eventually they may may give up. But I didn't have it happen here. Like when they were here for a week doing that, and they obviously nested somewhere not too far away because they were back later, uh, they never drummed here. So, But it's very annoying when they do. Well, I think they probably heard all about you and decided you were not somebody they wanted to mess with. (laughs) I wish it was that easy that the word would get around. (laughs) One of the woodpeckers that I think fascinates me the most is the northern flicker. Oh, yeah. When I first saw the northern flicker, it was in my front yard, again, watching through one of my windows, and I saw this large, unique bird that was pecking away like a woodpecker would, except at the ground and not at the tree, and I was so fascinated, I had to immediately get on it and figure out what kind of bird this was and what was it doing. Beautiful, and uh, unlike the woodpeckers that, that dig for larvae in the trees, the, the flicker likes ants, and so it spends a lot of time. Uh, it'll find out these little ant dens and, and uh, stick its tongue in and lap them up. Yeah, they, they love ants. And they're so beautiful. They are very, very beautiful. Uh, and they come for a drink, come for a bath. Oh, it's gorgeous to watch. Absolutely. But I really enjoy watching the flycatchers. They're tough to tell apart, aren't they? Yes. But they are fun. The, the, the Phoebe is probably the best known because it, it has that Phoebe call, you know, the, and, and uh, that's not a very good imitation. But yep. No, I think that is a quite, <laughs> you, did, you did really well with that one. The Eastern Phoebe, and that is one that I hear quite a bit about, seems uh, a number of people really enjoy that one. Yeah, and they will nest in old robin's nests. They like to nest inside old buildings on, on barn swallow nests. They uh, uh, they are uh, often under eaves somewhere nesting, and they'll even nest on a hole in the wall that leads to somewhere inside and so on. Um, yeah, fun bird to watch. The little guys, the least flycatcher, they typically pass through a little bit further north. You find them more in the white shawl when actual nesting season arrives, so... Uh, And, of course, there are some others that are even a little more obscure. One of the birds that I've uh, learned more about in the last couple of years that I didn't think that we lived in an area where we could see these birds, so I was super excited when I found them, the cedar waxwing. 
Oh, yeah, that is one of the most elegant birds we have. And, and they, see, they come through in flocks in the spring, and we've, several springs, they've been here, we know when they show up, there's the Catoni Aster Hedge in the backyard, and they love those berries. And then they will be in the trees here, and they come down in shifts, you know, five to ten birds to bathe and drink, and then as others come in, some will leave, and it goes back and forth for 15, 20 minutes like that. Then when nesting season arrives, of course, now they all fan out because no bird will allow another of its species to nest nearby, so then they're gone. But at this time of the year, the Bohemian waxwings come in from the west coast, uh, and um, they will be on mountain ash trees or little crabapple trees, and they can be in huge flocks. And because of the wax, it just makes these birds look so perfect. It looks exactly as if somebody dipped their wings in paint, you know. It, it's just beautiful. Yes, and then the, the mask around the eyes. Yes, and a little crest, you know, very saucy, kind of like when the Blue Jay lifts its, its crest. It's beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Getting back to um, finches, the pine grosbeak, that is a bird that I'm always very excited when I can attract them to my yard because growing up, I didn't ever see those birds. Mind you, I'm sure I didn't pay attention to birds as much as I do now. But when I see them now, that is so exciting. Yeah, they're they're a gorgeous mellow pink color and or rose and uh, unfortunately, they, they don't readily come to feeders for extended periods of time around here. Uh, you, you go to the white shell and, and those kinds of areas, they, they come to feeders there, but they like to stick fairly close to pine forests. <laughs> I guess their name is, is appropriate. Um, the bird that is seemingly making a bit of a comeback is the close relative, the evening girl speak. And they are spectacular with their golds and browns and, and white color uh, and very noisy, chirping all the time, too. But they virtually disappeared. The, every Christmas bird count in Winnipeg, uh, in southern Manitoba, had virtually no evening girl speaks for years. And yet at Cleefield in the country, one winter, we had 200 of them coming to our feeder. And... Um, and now they seem to be making a little bit of a comeback, so we may start to see them here. I don't know. I've only seen one or two on migration. Well, I certainly do keep my eye open for them. In the winter time, it does seem so dreary and bleak, and there's not a whole lot of color outside other than white. So when you do see a pop of color, it just yeah. catches your eye. And one of the birds that really does bring some color is the purple finch and that's not one that i see very often this time of year which is really unfortunate because it has such beautiful color yeah the purple finches basically migrate south they they rarely stay the winter but sometimes some do and what we do have in increasing numbers are the house finches which are similar in color just not quite as purple and they are here they're here now at um seven, eight, nine, ten at our feeders, and hopefully we'll stay the winter. They do winter over much more readily than, than the purple finches. And one uh, bird that I have never seen, I've heard a little bit about, is the bunting. Yeah, the indigo bunting? Yes. Uh, yeah, we had one this spring, but for five minutes in the yard, 
they do like to nest near oak trees, seemingly, and they uh, they uh, will nest fairly commonly in Birds Hill Park. And uh, and uh, we had them around Cleefeld near gravel pits where there's a mix of oaks and, and poplar trees and so on. Um, but that's a spectacular bird. Um, it's the size of a goldfinch. It, it has a similar song. Uh, because it's it's purple or deep blue and, or and amazing Asia colors, from a distance it looks black. And so it can be confusing because blue feathers on birds are not blue. They are black. And they refract light and then turn blue because of the, because of the light. So I often say that blue color in birds is a pigment of your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that one. <laughs> it doesn't really exist. But I've watched an indigo bunting, which was sort of deep, you know, almost black. And then and then the light catches it and it just explodes with this gorgeous, gorgeous indigo color. And yeah, and then you know why it got its name. Explosion of color that makes me think of the Orioles. <laughs> Where are they? Uh, you know, they. we had them all the time at Kleefeld. They would bring their young to the hummingbird feeders. And here in Steinbach, uh, we saw one this year for about three minutes. Every year it's like, okay, oh, there's one. Oh, he's eating a bit of grape jelly, and it's gone. And they are just not common anymore. I don't know what's happening. Last summer, I had a family of Orioles uh, come to my feeder, and I had grape jelly out, oranges, and it was wonderful because I had it set up right by my living room window where I had my office set up, and so I could constantly watch every time the Orioles would come, and I would stop whatever I was working on, and I would just sit there in awe and watch these birds, and it was so wonderful to see. This year, I did uh, see the Orioles I saw two of them, uh, two males, and it was one time that I saw them, and then after that, they were gone. Yeah, and I don't know exactly what is happening. I imagine if you lived in the country, you might have a bit better success, but I've I've had others ask me, um, where are the Orioles? You know, a couple from Winnipeg who used, who used to having them and said, where are the Orioles? We haven't seen them. And um, so I think it's, uh, again, a bit of a cause for concern. We'll see what happens uh, if they make a comeback. Perhaps what we need to do in spring is we need to have just uh, a bunch of people put out jelly and oranges, and let's see if the colors, the sights, the smells will will attract them, and and maybe we'll get to see more of them. I would be very disappointed if if the numbers were declining. Well, for sure, and, and but songbirds are declining. The, the story isn't really very good. Um, there's a huge decline in general with the songbirds in North America, and more and more people are starting to research that uh, because uh, others are, are are disappearing and becoming threatened and endangered. Uh, just changing patterns. Too much bush being cut down, you know, and it's because of the demands made by an increasing population all the time. You can't totally criticize it, but we have to also be aware that we need to preserve habitat for species or they will disappear. When we look at the impact that we as human beings have on on all of the species, also recognizing climate change is something that's that the species are also working yeah. on and figuring out and how do how do they uh, exist and so what's the balance how do we all coexist 
Yeah, I know. And and uh, I was seeing just the other day in the news that some some places they're starting to commit to less use of wood and uh, and reforesting more aggressively. Uh, you know, all these vast forest fires. They have taken such a toll on the forests, and they are, after all, a source of oxygen, too, that there's going to be some replanting need to be done because it takes a long time on their own to regenerate. When I drive through the sandy lands and I take a look at the area of forest that has been damaged from previous fires and there has been replanting and to watch that regrowth happening, that is always a, a so wonderful to see that. But yeah, then it doesn't take long, whatever the weather is like. And just like that, we have more forest fires again. And then we need to make sure that that we do get back out there and do what we can to help the environment. Yeah. Well, for almost, uh, for many years, I did several breeding bird surveys. There are specific routes you run every day, every year, exactly the same during the peak of the breeding season. And uh, count the, the number of species and the number of of uh, birds of each species that you see or hear, so you have to know the calls very well. And uh, over the years that I did them, particularly the one run that was uh, south of or east of Richer and south of Haddishville, uh, after major foresting, um, there was almost nothing left. I I used to hear at every stop I would hear at least four national warblers and a number of thrushes and other birds. And I would stop, and I couldn't hear a sound this last year. And I did many stops just to, for old time's sake, to see what's left on my my familiar route, and it was just quiet. That has got to uh, got to be very disappointing. Yeah, it was, and and uh, and a bit alarming. Not just not just disappointing. Yeah. So, what are your plans for the winter? Do you have any specific photography plans? Well. Uh, you know, with, with all the COVID situation, it tends to be day drives, not not going on long trips, and and definitely, uh, we'll be going out there and chasing snowy owls and gray partridges and deer falcons and whatever else that uh, that you can find when you go for a country drive, and it's just good for the soul just to be out there anyway. Um, but the uh, gray partridge is, is a bird that uh, is also quite beautiful and. Decent pictures have eluded me uh, over the years. And last year, uh, Fred and I went for a long ride heading west. Um, and um, and so then when we finally reach country where we think we want to start photographing, then Frida moves to the back seat so that um, we can shoot from the same side of the vehicle. Nobody's arguing with who's got the best view, right? <laughs> So, so okay, I said, Frida, it's time, it's time, you got to go to the back seat. And so we get out, and she uh, moves her gear over, and I move my gear over, and when we're about done, I go around the vehicle to shoot, shut her door, and about 15 great partridges fly up in the ditch right beside us. Uh, I mean, all that noise and nothing, and then, poof, they were gone, and I'm going, yeah, and when I try to stop, when I see them, they could run long before I get close. <laughs> they knew I didn't have my camera ready, so hey, let's just sit here and watch them. <laughs> oh, those birds, eh? Yeah, it was great fun. <laughs> well, Dennis, I have really thoroughly enjoyed our visit on birds today. I do appreciate your time, and I love your stories. I hope we can do this again sometime soon. Sure, thank you. I enjoyed it too, Judy, and all the best.